Genesis chapter 5 again this week, as we keep making our way through the book of Genesis on Sunday mornings. We're hoping to at least go through the first 11 chapters. We may continue after that point. We'll see when we get there. Two weeks ago, we did an overview of this whole chapter, and we talked about how this genealogy has these 10 patriarchs and how their name, the meaning of their names might contain a message. I'll leave that to you. We considered why mankind was living so long before the flood, and we considered the recurring phrase, and he died. We considered that because we all have a need for Christ. Why? You're going to die. Last week, we considered the beginning verses of this chapter and how Adam and Eve were created in the image and likeness of God. But because they chose sin over God, when Seth was born, we don't read he was born in God's image and in God's likeness, but we find out that Seth was born in the image and likeness of Adam. And so we all have inherited Adam's sin nature. God's design for mankind was for us to take on His image through Adam and Eve and on, but because that could not happen as a result of sin, we needed another Adam to come in God's image and God's likeness and deal with our sinfulness and offer us a new birth. Amen. Amen. And this is what Jesus Christ has done for us. Hebrews 1.3 says of Jesus, who being the brightness of His glory, speaking of God's glory, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. (laughs) This is why Jesus is called the last Adam, the second man. The Apostle Paul uses both of those terms in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Jesus dealt with our sins on the cross by shedding His blood, dying in our place, and now He offers us a new birth where we receive a new man. Colossians 3.10 tells us, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, get this, after the image of Him that created Him. The new man is in the image of God. And that's why Christ came. He came to restore us into that image. Once we experience the miracle of the new birth, we are in the process of being conformed into the image of Christ. This is so good. We're being restored into what we would have been had we never sinned to begin with. But this isn't going to be totally realized until we reach eternity because we still have this robe of flesh, but the day's coming. Paul wrote, and as we have been, as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. He also wrote, we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And he also wrote, he shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. And John wrote in 1 John 3.12, We know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. What a day that's going to be. In the meantime, we read in 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with open face, 
beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so the, the challenge was, give yourself to the process. Let God have His way with you. Let Him conform you. Let Him change you into that image that Christ came to die and to make that possible. So whose image do you currently possess? Are you outside of Christ with nothing but the likeness of our first Adam? Or have you been born again with the likeness of the last Adam? By the way, you're going to take on the image of those you're around most. That'll preach. The sobering truth is you either receive Christ, experience the second birth, and be with God for all eternity and glory, or you reject Christ, experience the second death, and be out of God's presence for all eternity in the lake of fire. That's what God's Word says. And the choice is yours. Well, I wanted to re-preach that. Let's move on. For today, as we continue in this chapter, I want to move down to the seventh man in this genealogy. The line goes from Adam to Seth to Enos to Canaan to Mahalaliel to Jared and then to Enoch. All we're told from Seth to Jared is how old they were when the next in line was born, how long they lived after, that they begat sons and daughters, how long they lived all together, and finally that they died. But with Enoch, it's different. And then it returns to the same pattern. So look with me, if you will, in Genesis chapter 5. Let's read verses 21 through 24. And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now there really isn't a whole lot said here about Enoch. In fact, verses 21 and 23 are no different than what is said of those beforehand. There's only three words different in verse 22. And this, uh, three words different than what is said of the other ones. And of course, verse 24 we know is altogether unique. There's only one verse and three words difference between him and all the others. But there's enough given here for us to know that this man is clearly worthy of our attention. He is worthy of a character study. And in fact, he's worthy to emulate because living like him brings us closer to God. We know Christ is our ultimate example. Amen. So all you just got puffed up. Just pump the brakes. Christ is our ultimate example. I'm not lessening that. But even Paul wrote in Philippians 3.17, Brethren, be ye followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Be ye followers of me, even also as I am of Christ. So it's okay to look at others and go, that's a walk that I need to figure out how to walk. Enoch is an Old Testament example for us to mark and follow because he's a man who follows after Christ. You say, Christ in the Old Testament? Oh, yeah. And we'll see that as we progress. If it wasn't for Jesus saying, 
Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Then I would be making the argument right now that Enoch was the greatest man to ever walk this earth outside of Jesus Christ. But I'll wisely defer to Jesus' assessment and go with John the Baptist being the greatest born among women. And I'll just tell you this, Enoch is one of the greatest men to ever live. It's okay to say amen to that. And we're going to see that today. So what is it we can learn from Enoch's life which made him such a godly man and that will help us in our Christian life? It's only a four-word phrase, but it's repeated twice so that we don't miss it and that we understand this simple phrase is profound. And, and the phrase that we're given here twice, Enoch walked with God. Verse 22 and 24, Enoch walked with God. Now in verse 22, we read, Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years. While the other men, like Enoch's father Jared, you can just glance up at that, you will read, and Jared lived after he begat. But of Enoch, we read, and Enoch walked with God after he begat. Now, some interpret this to mean that Enoch did not begin walking with God until the birth of Methuselah. There's even one Bible version that has changed the verbiage to support this meaning. The New American Standard Bible reads, Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he fathered Methuselah. But this isn't what our trusty King James says. People may choose to read that into it, but be careful about making the Bible say something it doesn't say. That's how we get false doctrines and false teachings, and I could spend a whole month or three there. But I won't, amen. For example, as I just mentioned about Jared, we read, and Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years. Um, And so people are saying, well, Enoch, he didn't really walk with God until Methuselah was born. But of Jared and all the others, Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years. Are we to assume then that that Jared was not alive until he gave birth to Jared? Are you thinking this through with me? Well, Enoch didn't walk with God until Methuselah was born. Well, then Jared wasn't alive until Enoch was born. It's the same verbiage. I'm just trying to get you to think, because I'm sure we've all heard messages. It makes for good preaching. And for sure, when you have a kid, it can change the way you think and some of the principles and politics and all the rest. I know one guy, he's fairly famous. He was a a noted liberal. He had changed to a social conservative, as he said. And they said, what made you change? He said, I had daughters. That might make you change your your mind on some things. Amen. So I'm not discounting the merits of the principle that when you have kids, you, you may want to walk with God a little bit better than you did. But we can't say dogmatically that Enoch never had a walk with God beforehand. In reality, there's nothing in this chapter that leads us to believe that these are the firstborn of all these, all these men. Amen. I, I'm going to blow some of your minds because you're like, oh, oh, that's the first one born. That's the first one. No, that's not what the Bible says. For the proof, just look at Adam. What does it say about Adam? It says, he gave birth to Seth. He had kids before Seth. We know he had Cain and Abel. We know Cain had a wife, so he had to have daughters. And we know Cain was concerned about other people finding him and killing him. So just because we're given the birth of this particular name does not mean it's the first child born. It's just the one that is born into this lineage where Christ is going to arise from. 
So just keep that in mind. I'm just trying to get you to see, don't make the Bible say something it doesn't. Remember that that's what this genealogy is showing us, the line of Christ. It could very well be that Enoch had a walk with God before Methuselah was born. I think we are told that he walked with God 300 years after Methuselah because it's simply bridging the gap from whom the promised seed was preserved until uh, Enoch was no more. We're given this very clearly. This is what we're given with the others. And again, if you just look at what's said about Jared in the previous verse, uh, verses, Jared was 162 when Enoch was born. And then we read Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years. And that's told to us so that we get the full picture that he lived 962 years. And that's all we're being told with Enoch. Now, for what it's worth, this is just my opinion, but I believe Enoch had a walk with God before Methuselah was born. If you remember from two weeks ago, I mentioned how the meaning of Methuselah's name is prophetic. Methuselah's name, meaning his death, shall send forth. Enoch was made aware of something that was going to be happening to this earth. And that something was the great flood in Noah's day that God sent. And Enoch was made aware that God's great flood was going to occur in the year that Methuselah, his son, would die. Isn't that something? You say, well, how do we know this? Methuselah lived 969 years. He's the longest one recorded. Isn't that amazing? God is so merciful that in the generation he was going to destroy, this guy just kept living because God's good. And so 969 years, Methuselah was 187 when Lamech was born. Lamech was 182 when Noah was born. That equals 396. And the Bible tells us in the next chapter that Noah's going to enter the ark in his 600 year. That equals 969, the same amount of years that Methuselah lived. His death shall send forth. Amen. So Enoch was told something. He was aware of something uh, with the birth of Methuselah. And I believe for him to be made aware of this prophecy, he likely had a walk with God before Methuselah was born, but that's just my opinion. And if you'll respect my opinion, I'll respect yours. I'll respect yours anyway because that's what I do. Hopefully we can agree that we can't know for sure either way. Thank you for wasting our time, preacher. One thing is for certain. Enoch was a prophet. Not just because he named his son Methuselah, but we know Enoch was a prophet from the book of Jude in our New Testament. Listen to what is said of Enoch in Jude verses 14 and 15. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, listen to what Enoch was saying The seventh from Adam. He said this, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of His saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. (laughs) People today would say, you know, Enoch, he wasn't a very tolerant preacher. He gave truth anyway. Isn't it interesting how most of those who cry out for tolerance only want tolerance so long as you agree with them? That's another message. This is such a great passage in Jude because we learn that even before the flood, they not only knew of the promised seed to arrive, but they knew that the Lord was going to return with 
ten thousands of his saints to do what? To judge. To bring vengeance on all the ungodly. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not, uh, that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, Amen. who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. This is amazing. The same message before the flood is the same message that the Apostle Paul was preaching. How about that? It's the same message today. It hasn't changed. The Lord is coming again. He's coming with great power as a roaring lion and He will smite the nations. And for 1,000 years He'll rule with a rod of iron as the king upon this earth. Understand, Enoch was preaching that message, that message of judgment, in a day of prevailing wickedness. And I don't think I have to convince you that America is on an avalanche to prevailing wickedness in our day. Remember from chapter 4 in Cain's ungodly line that wicked Lamech was the sixth from Cain. Well, Enoch here is the sixth from Seth. And so Lamech was the one, remember, we saw the breakdown of the home. We saw the breakdown of society. We saw violence being glorified. We saw inventions being made to take people away from God and and being accountable and, and taking their mind off of those things. In short, Enoch's message was not popular. It's not popular today. But those who walk with God, they give truth no matter the social climate of their day. They give truth no matter if it's politically correct. They give truth even if it's going to cause people to be upset at them. And I'm not saying we have to be obnoxious. We don't have to beat anybody over the head and take our 20-pound KJ, you know. Listen, we just give truth. And then we let God do what He does. We're to be light and salt. We are to be warning people. We are to warn the ungodly. The Lord is coming to execute judgment upon all who are ungodly. No matter how ungodly our society becomes, we are never to back down from giving truth in love. And what we learned about Enoch, it is possible to live godly in an ungodly world. It's possible to live godly even when you're married. It's possible to live godly even with children. You know all the excuses. It doesn't matter the societal pressures around us. Listen, we're talking about prevailing wickedness. I I, I know that wickedness is just a click away. How many of us would be ashamed if, if our histories were shown? At the stuff you looked at and you looked for and you searched for. It's right there. Wickedness is right there. Listen, it it is possible to live godly. 
It is possible, even in an ungodly world, even when society is crumbling, even when sin is just a click away, even if the government has kicked God out of all the public institutions, you can still live godly and you can still fulfill Philippians 2.15 that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke. Where? In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights unto the world. And our country needs some Enochs who will stand against the flood of ungodliness in our land. We need some who will dare to stand and lift up their voice like a trumpet and show people their sins. Let's get to the emphasis here in Genesis 5 by looking at verse 24 again. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. I mentioned previously where we read of these other men that they lived after the birth of the one mentioned, right? When we come to Enoch, it says, Enoch walked with God. There must then be a difference between living and walking with God. That's the difference pointed out. And so the question is, are you living or are you walking with God? Are you living just to live another day? Or are you walking with God? Listen, do you understand all of your struggles, all of your worries, all of your burdens, all of your concerns, all of your scheming, all of your what-ifs, all of your fears, they can be done away with if you will just walk with God. I didn't say all your persecutions. All your troubles, all your trials are going to disappear. But you can have a peace that passes all understanding through those things by walking with God. There's no greater statement to be said of anyone than that they walked with God. Amen. Listen, there's many nice things that might be said about you at your funeral. Well, he was a good provider. She was a great mother. She loved her family. He was faithful to church. He was saved. On and on we could go, but there's nothing greater than for somebody else to say of you, you know what? They walked with God. No greater epitaph can be written than you walking with God. If you knew Pastor Williams, then you know one of his most frequent statements to people was, walk with God. In those years when I was first sensing God calling me here in the 13 years that followed, I would occasionally talk to preacher about it, and he would say to me, walk with God. Every time I would talk to preacher, Adrian would ask, well, what did he say? And I'd say, he didn't really say anything. He just said, walk with God. And it got to the point where she knew if I talked to him, she said, let me guess. Preacher said, walk with God. Even shortly before he passed, I had a conversation with him, and you'll never believe what he ended that conversation with. Gary, just walk with God. <laughs> I'd go to preacher, I'd have questions after I became pastor because I don't know what I'm doing. And that's still evident seven years later or whatever. And, and I would say, preacher, what do I blah, 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 blah. He's just walk with God. And, and I remember thinking there were times when I really wanted preacher to say something more. But I've learned that he really stated all that ever need to be said. Walk with God. Just walk with God. That's everything in this life. 
Why would preachers say that? Because he understood what Enoch knew. The key to this life is walk with God. What does it mean to walk with God? Well, it means to be in fellowship with God, right? How do you do that? Through a personal relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Being guided by His Holy Spirit. To walk with God means you're in harmony with God. To be walking in the same direction and on the same path with God. It means to agree with God in all things. Amos 3.3 asks the question, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Here's some other statements the Bible makes. Walking with God means to walk in integrity. Walk in the light of His Word. Walk uprightly. Walk in the light as He is in the light. Walk by faith, not by sight. It means we don't walk after the customs of this world. We walk in newness of life. We walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. We walk honestly and not disorderly. We walk in good works. We walk in love. We walk as children of light. We walk circumspectly. We walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. It means to walk in Christ. It means walk in wisdom. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye have been called. It means we do not walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. It means we are not self-willed. It means we walk like Christ is abiding in us. We walk after His commandments. It means we walk in truth. Walking with God is having God in all of your thoughts. It's acknowledging God in all of your ways and not leaning unto your own understanding. It's when your will becomes God's will. It's a daily walk. It's a prayerful walk. And it's a cleansing walk. 1 John 1, 6 and 7, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie. And do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. Please listen to me closely. Please listen. Walking with God goes beyond just being saved. Though that's the first step. Listen to me. Walking with God goes beyond being faithful to church. Although that's important. Do you hear what I'm trying to say to you this morning? Walking with God is more than just reading a chapter a day to keep the devil away. Although we ought to read our Bible. So are you walking with God? Do you have a close biblical walk with God? And be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. You can fool us. But you can't fool God. Enoch had such a close walk with God, there came a day when God took him. That'd be pretty sweet. Enoch just disappeared one day. (laughs) He must have died hunting or something, Brother Foley. I don't know. (laughs) He just disappeared. Where did he go? He went home to be with God. Someone likened it this way, and I like this. Enoch and God were walking together one day, and God said, you know, Enoch, you're closer to my home than you are yours, so why don't you just come on home with me? Whoop, that's good. So in this list where we read, and he died, and he died, and he died, 
we find one who never died because God took him home to glory. The writer of Hebrews put it this way about Enoch in Hebrews 11.5. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. God wanted him home because he pleased God. I can't preach Enoch without thinking of Grace and Young. And I'm not going to stir all that up, but I'll tell you, when you do the math, Enoch would have been about the same year in our years as Enoch was. Grayson would have been the same age. I preached that at his funeral. I believe he had such a walk with God. God said, just come on home, Grayson. And, and, and this, is, this is what is going to happen to us when our Lord returns for His bride. And who knows, we might just be the rapture generation. There's coming a day when we're going to be translated that we should not see death. How'd you like to escape death? Sounds pretty good to me. And why are we going to do that? Because we pleased God by placing our faith and trust in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 and 52. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, which means we're not all going to die. But we all shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Enoch, he walked with God, and because he walked with God, he pleased God. And what's greater than this? He walked with God and he pleased God. That's all I want for my life. May it be said of, of me and you that we walked with God, that we pleased God. May that be our testimony. Why? Because the chief end of man is the glory of God. You know that's why you're here? That's what the Bible says. All things were created for his pleasure. And for His glory. That's why we're here, to give Him glory. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Enoch had such a close walk with God. Think about this. He had such a close walk with God that the taking of his last step on earth to his first step in glory was seamless. Blue, blue. That's how it's going to sound when I enter. Blue, blue. He just crossed on over. Some of y'all are going to be shocked. You're going to be like, oh my goodness, they do raise hands. They do shout. They do say amen. They do sing songs. Wow, heaven. Wow, we could have had heaven on earth, but we just didn't want to. All right, anyway, I can tell you're not in the mood for that sermon this morning. The great Puritan Thomas Watson died in his prayer closet. That's the way to go. Charles Spurgeon, I haven't verified this yet. I've, I've been looking. I'm going to try to track it down. But supposedly he wrote in the foreword of, of a book for Thomas Watson some years afterwards, of course. Thomas Watson was much older. Uh, Thomas Watson, I think, died in 1698, 89, somewhere in there. Spurgeon lived until 1892. But he, he said this of Thomas Watson dying in his prayer closet. He said... He probably didn't even know that he died. <laughs> Isn't that good? <laughs> that he just went from the presence of the Lord to the presence of the Lord. He just went from glory to glory. 
Have you ever considered what it's going to be like when you cross over? Are you going to be shocked? Or will it be you walking with God in this world so closely that you're just going to seamlessly cross over, seamlessly cross over with God into the next world? I know I need to close, but let me give you one last thought from verse 24. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. I want you to know this morning, don't think that you can't have a walk with God like Enoch had. Enoch, he didn't even have a local church like you have. Enoch didn't even have the Word of God like we have. And yet, look how closely he walked with God. You can have that same closeness. It's not, it, it's, it's not something you, you know, you'll never grasp. You can have that kind of walk with God. We have been given every advantage in our day. So there are no excuses for us not to have a walk with God. And while we can't expect to be translated, unless we are the last generation, we can have this testimony. How is this possible? I want you to get this. I'll be done, okay? Let's get this. When you walk with God closely, you cease to be. Enoch walked with God in what? He was not. You have to have a walk so close with God that you are not. You are no more. And so you can have this kind of walk, but you have to disappear. We need to walk with God until we are not. Hey, you walk with God until He takes all of you. You walk with God until it is no longer any of you living, but it is Him that is living in you. Isn't that what Paul said in Galatians 2.20? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That is what walking with God is. Walking with God is when you are no more. That means you're not going to get your little feelings hurt. Boy, I could preach right there. Why? There's nothing left of you. Amen. God needs to completely take over your life. That's how there's none of you left. He has every bit of you. He has your dreams. He has your ambitions. He has your plans. He has your goals. He has your desires. He has everything. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Can this be said of you? Are you walking with God so close that you are no more and God has completely taken over your life? Let's pray.